Have you heard about San Jose Spotlight? It's a nonprofit news organization over the hill. San Jose Spotlight covers policy, politics, and government in Silicon Valley. Tune in to the San Jose Spotlight weekly podcast, The Podlight. You'll find in-depth conversations about the South Bay issues you care about. Homelessness, transportation, business, education, COVID-19, and more. Find The Podlight on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Learn about San Jose Spotlight at sanjosespotlight.com. I'm Kara Myberg-Guzman. This is Santa Cruz Local. Across California and our nation, there are pockets of hope, communities that are solving homelessness. When leaders there talk about ending homelessness, they're not saying that homelessness will just disappear. They're talking about building an efficient system to help people get housing. These systems are quick, agile, coordinated, and open to new ideas. In today's episode, we'll learn about these systems to end homelessness. We'll learn how they work. We'll examine how one California community system gets homeless people into housing. We'll learn about its strengths and its limitations. First, we should understand the recent history of Santa Cruz County's approach to homelessness. I asked Don Lane for his take. He was Santa Cruz's mayor in 2014. He was the founding board chairman of what eventually became Santa Cruz's Homeless Services Center. Now it's called Housing Matters. Don has been working on homelessness in our county in various roles for decades. Right now, Don serves on the governing board of the Homeless Action Partnership. That's a local group designated by the federal government. They coordinate the local homelessness response and related state and federal money. Don says our community historically has had two main approaches to homelessness. Neither has been housing oriented. One has been what he calls managing homelessness. It's about minimizing impact on people who are housed. So, for example, that means laws that limit camping and panhandling. That also includes policies to address trash related to camps. The other approach has been homeless services, things like soup kitchens and emergency shelters. This approach helps people survive, but it's reactive and not focused on permanent housing. Permanent housing is the solution to homelessness. As Don and others put it, our county's homelessness response system is more housing focused than it used to be, but it's still not all the way there. Our county's homeless response system grew in the 1980s. It was a loose affiliation of churches, meal programs, and shelter. It's really important to remember historically that the way our homeless response system came into being was very um, one-off. You know, like a church said, let's do this. A community group said, let's do that. And you, so we built the old system essentially of independent groups saying, let's do our thing to just respond because we want to help. 
And so you build a whole, you know, that's what we had for a long time was just these different islands of good work being done, but not really a system. But mindsets are starting to change. People are starting to focus more on housing. Now we have gotten to this point where there's a much bigger recognition that the always we have to be thinking about housing as part of every solution. Like if you can do all these other interventions, but if a person doesn't end up in housing, they're still homeless and then we still have homelessness. So that historical process has been really interesting to watch um, around kind of rethinking periodically and in a, I think in a good way about, well, what are the programmatic responses we ought to have? And now we see so much more focus on permanent supportive housing and on shelters that are housing focused. In other words, it's still an emergency shelter, but as soon as someone arrives in the shelter, the, the work is, yeah, we're going to keep you safe and healthy here today, make sure you have some food, but mostly what we're going to do is work on how you get out of this shelter and into some kind of more real housing. So that's been, you know, that's going on here. But in the meantime, we are still having to do those short-term interventions. We still manage, we still have laws that manage people and, you know, have um, deal with camping and littering and sanitation kinds of issues. And then we also hopefully are making some progress on getting people into housing. Still, not all homeless services in Santa Cruz County are focused on housing. We're getting there. I think the orientation is, is very good and the implementation is happening, but it's, and so there's the, both the speed of implementation is somewhat of a challenge, but also in the end, you still have that tension between um, wanting to try and get people right into housing, but not having enough housing stock and therefore needing these sort of more interim housing or shelter kinds of solutions. A big example of the change is the county's Housing for Health division. It started in 2020. Its goal is to help house people and coordinate the county's homeless services. And so the process has been very gradual to bring that into a coordinated system. And so you, it takes a long time when you have all these independent groups to say, hey, you know, this is how we really want to do this now. And we want you to be connected with the system and use sort of different frameworks. I mean, new frameworks for you that are the that are more housing first oriented. And so it takes a long time for organizations to shift into that new mode to staff differently, to train differently, just a whole mindset changes. So that's really happening. I feel like that's on paper, we're almost there, but there's still a process. To understand how a housing-focused system works, I went to Bakersfield. Bakersfield is in Kern County in California's Central Valley. This community's homelessness response system is more focused on housing and more efficient. Bakersfield is the county seat of Kern County. Kern County has found success at addressing chronic homelessness. Chronically homeless people are among the most challenging to help house. Chronically homeless means that they've been homeless for at least a year 
or they've been homeless at least four times in the last three years. On top of that, they have a disabling condition like serious mental illness or drug addiction. Since March 2020, Kern County has maintained what's called functional zero for chronic homelessness. That means the county has three or fewer people who are chronically homeless. Kern County is one of five communities in the nation to reach this threshold. To be clear, Kern County still has unhoused people, and it still has people who become chronically homeless. But the community has built something rare, an efficient system to house chronically homeless people. On average, it takes Kern County's system about four months to move a chronically homeless person into housing. That's four months from intake to a permanent home. In Santa Cruz County, that average wait time is two years. That's according to Phil Kramer, the executive director of Housing Matters in Santa Cruz. Bakersfield is about 250 miles southeast of Santa Cruz. It's surrounded by almond and orange orchards. It's just east of I-5. When I visited Bakersfield recently, I asked a bunch of locals what they love about the city. An off-duty firefighter having lunch at Two Fat Sandwiches downtown told me about Bakersfield's theaters. He also loves all the Basque restaurants around town. He told me that the city is safe and family-oriented. A web designer and musician working on his laptop at Cafe Smitten told me about how relaxed the city is. It's not uptight. He says you can get around in rush hour and find street parking. You don't have to worry about your car getting broken into. He told me Bakersfield has a big country music scene too. He said it's like Nashville West. Kern County has different strengths and challenges than Santa Cruz County. Kern County is much bigger. In terms of land, it's one of the biggest counties in the state. Santa Cruz County is one of the smallest. Kern County also has more than three times as many people as our county. Kern County has about 900,000 people. Santa Cruz County has about 275,000 people. Kern County's government is also much bigger and better funded. Homelessness is a bigger problem in Santa Cruz County. Our county has about 2,400 households that are homeless. Kern County has about 2,200 people who are homeless. It's also harder to build housing in Santa Cruz. In Kern County, there's more land to build. Their housing market is more affordable their rental market is less competitive. Still, Kern County's strength lies in its efficiency in housing some of the most challenging people to house. Let's learn how they did it. Kern County's first step was to get the main homeless service providers on the same page. Before there was excellent, truly like top of class coordination in that Kern County system, just, just like in, in, you know, almost every county in the country, um, we inadvertently set up systems where those folks who have been experiencing homelessness 
for a long time and have some, some style of disability, we're asking them to make their way through some local maze of service providers and government offices. That's Eddie Turner. Eddie works for Built for Zero. That's a program that works with communities across the country to address homelessness. Eddie was a special lead in Kern County's Chronic Homelessness Initiative. He's based in Atlanta. I think a very typical situation that, that you know, I, I think was true in, in Kern County before this coordination, but again, I think it's true nearly everywhere in the country, is you, you, you might go to a shelter um, and have to answer maybe an hour's worth of questions about yourself about your history and about how much money you've got and about the most recent place you've been living and about your personal connections, like very personal invasive questions that often is just the price of the ticket to, to get any kind of service. And then if you want help filing for, for disability or, or getting benefits or food or housing assistance, you, you may have to the very next day go to a different office and like, you got to find your way there. And you've got to now answer all those freaking questions all over again, the same highly personal, highly invasive questions that they're being asked, you know, with, again, with good intentions, trying to get this information so that we can be helpful to people. But, but so often um, people, people might make it, you know, all the way through that assessment those assessment questions again to be told, you know what, I'm not the person who can help you. I actually think the person who can help you is over here at this third office. Um, so, so I think the experience that we see before communities um, start coordinated entry and, and really truly refine it and go through this process of, of deep improvement and, and experimentation to make it run faster is that a person experiencing homelessness has to go to a lot of places, fill out a lot of forms, answer a lot of very personal invasive questions, talk to and get handed off between a whole lot of people. And there's such excruciating wait times happening between each of those little conversations, each of those office visits, each of those shelter stays. Um, and frequently, again, like despite people's best intentions, frequently people are being treated really badly through this process. Even the best systems, uh, homelessness response systems, are not that great. <laughs> no one's dying to have this experience. Eddie's points echo what we heard from unhoused people in our county. This summer and fall, I did in-depth interviews with more than a dozen people who live outside. I heard about how frustrating and confusing it is to get things like mental health care, housing vouchers, ID cards, unemployment benefits, and childcare. So how did Kern County improve its system? Like I said, the first thing they did was get everybody on the same page. They built a new committee of about two dozen people. Most worked at homeless service agencies. Some were executives, some worked directly with clients. They agreed on a shared goal to focus on the chronically homeless. Then they agreed on a definition of chronically homeless. This is important because some organizations define it differently. The committee used the definition by the Federal Department of Housing and Urban Development. 
Once they got aligned, they agreed on a process. All the homeless service providers I spoke to in Bakersfield said this was the big key. All the organizations adopted a framework of experimentation. This approach is to run small tests, measure success, then scale up the ideas that show promise. This approach is championed by Built for Zero. We'll talk more about this approach in a minute, but let's get back to the problem Eddie Turner talked about, doing intake again and again. One solution is a by name list. That's a centralized list of names of all the chronically homeless people in the county. Multiple agencies access this shared list. That list includes information like where and when was the person last seen by a service provider, who was their case manager, how long have they been waiting for housing, are they a youth, a veteran, or a family? Basically, do they qualify for other help from government? By name lists also usually have what's called a vulnerability score. That score is based on a bunch of health questions that basically say how at risk someone is of dying from being homeless. Santa Cruz County has versions of these by name lists. We'll get to that. Eddie Turner again. You can't know if you've ended homelessness. You can't know if you're making the, the problem better than the problem being that the system that's serving people experiencing homelessness, you can't know if you're making that system better unless you've got data that you really believe in. Do you know everyone who's experiencing homelessness here and not just have them, you know, like their name written down somewhere, but, but have some pretty good information about them. What are their needs? How acute are their needs? It's, it's very similar to the way that an emergency room works. An emergency room is not you know, first come, first serve, that's a deli, right? In an emergency room, they want to know how how critical is the problem that brought you in here? Um, is it a broken arm or is it a heart attack? And, and having that kind of knowledge about each person experiencing homelessness, that was that was Kern County's first job was to make sure that they had that that level of information that would help them triage people experiencing a housing crisis and that no matter where you enter the system whether you went to you know like this shelter over here or this assistance office over there that all that information was winding up in the same place so that there was a really truly coordinated approach across the system um, so that no matter what door you came in um, that the centralized system knows something about you, is able to figure out what kind of resources you need, and um, that sets them up to deliver those resources as quickly as possible. Eddie tells me the key is to do something with the data. The really crucial thing is it's got to be for action. That by name list has got to drive action. Now we've got the list. Great. And so what we should do with it is, um, my hope is that there, there is a field or multiple fields on each by name list in which there is a clear next step written out for the next week for each and every person on that list. What is like the first case manager doing for like five of these clients and the second case manager is doing for the next five of these clients? Um, what is someone at the housing authority doing to push forward this voucher for this client? And that for each person, there's some next step that's, that's happening for each person on it. I think that the next step should have a date on it so that, you know, we're keeping the urgency out. We're trying to like, 
move this person forward through our Byzantine process. And we also recommend it, and I know that Kern County does this, we recommend that for each person on that by name list, you add a target housing date. It's purely a prediction to say, all right, this person who, who entered our system three weeks ago, given um, what we know about their vulnerability, given what we know about the number of resources in our, in our system today, what's my prediction about when I think they can move in to permanent housing? And we find that there's something really powerful about predicting a date because now it kind of forces us to game out. What do we know about how well our system's working? What do we know about um, what I need to do next individually to help this person move through? And if we find that we're getting past that date, then it, it, I think it, it tells us there's something we got to improve here. And, and hopefully it helps us figure out precisely what that thing is so we can improve it. So, so I think that the, the by name list can become a really powerful tool for always sparking what's the next action we can take What's the next way that we can help this person take one step toward, toward housing? Every week, staff from different agencies meet to discuss each person on the list. These meetings are called case conferences. At first, these meetings weren't very effective. They were too focused on just updating the list. They changed tack. They split the chronically homeless list into shorter lists, one for youth, one for veterans, another for families, for example. They focused on the housing outcome for each person. Here's Heather Kimmel. She's the Assistant Executive Director for Kern County's Housing Authority. When we first started case conferencing, it was, um, everybody's focus was on what the client's barriers were, which was very natural I and mean, easy to do, right? So you have a client that you're trying to house by the end of October and they have five dogs and they're not willing to get rid of any of their dogs. So that's the barrier. And so each week when we were case conferencing, there was no status change, right? I have a client with five dogs. They're unwilling to get rid of any of their dogs, but I hope I can house them by the end of October. So we said, well, that's not going to change. Like the client's always going to have five dogs. They're never going to get rid of their dogs. So that's not really the client's barrier. That's our barrier as this case manager to figure out how to overcome that situation. So we started looking at barriers a little bit differently through our case conferencing. And we said, okay, what is my barrier today in housing this client? And so the case manager says now, I have a client with five dogs and I can't find a landlord who takes multiple pets. And now everybody else in the group says, oh, I have a landlord that I housed somebody with last month that takes multiple pets. Oh, have you tried you know, housing them in Ridgecrest? There's a lot of landlords in that community in Ridgecrest that takes pets. And now everybody started resource sharing. Um, and so when we looked at the, through case conferencing, the barriers that the, that appear to be the client's barriers and took ownership of those barriers as ours to figure out how to overcome, we started seeing a lot of success in housing placements. Heather told me about another change to the system. At first, those case conferences were led by executive staff. Frontline staff would report progress. It didn't work. And at the beginning, the meetings felt almost like a performance review 
<laughs> for lack of a better example, um, with the executive level staff there, the frontline staff who were working one-on-one -on -one with these clients were not, um, didn't feel as comfortable being open about what their barriers are, like what their actual challenges are. Because they, of course, wanted to look like, I've got this. I've got this client. I'm going to house this client. Of course I can do this. So we said, what if we strip away the supervisors from the process and we make this a peer driven meeting? And so they would take notes and the notes would go back out because, of course, the supervisors still wanted to be connected to the process. But yeah, they, that everybody really started clicking when we just made it a very collaborative environment. Once we changed that mindset of this is my barrier to overcome, not the client's barrier, and we made it a collaborative kind of safe space for them to really network with each other and brainstorm. And it was just a little think tank every week. It really made a big difference. Those by name lists allowed the team to understand how chronically homeless people moved through their system. Now they could see patterns of barriers and where the system needed to be streamlined. It was really just looking at the patterns in the data. Um, if we saw a couple months where our average number of people being housed dipped, then we knew we needed to do some sort of like landlord engagement campaign or some sort of landlord incentive. We had to do something to drive those housing placements back up. If we saw a month where we had zero in a couple months where we had zero inflow, that looks like really positive data, but that also caused us to question. Like, you know, are people just not doing the certifications for chronic homelessness or is, do we actually not have? So we really just looked month over month at any changes in our data. Heather is a lead on Kern County's Built for Zero committee. She described that framework of experimentation as a big key to their success. She said that using small experiments, measuring success and adapting to what works was a huge change for Kern County. It, it's a very vulnerable place, actually. When you say this is what we're doing to serve the homeless individuals in our community, and then to say, here's where we're not doing it well, right? It was a kind of a paradigm shift, if, if you will, in saying, okay, we're gonna try something to see if it improves this. And if it doesn't improve it, if what we tried didn't work, that's okay too. Right. But we're still going to report out on it. We're still going to say why it didn't work. And maybe that sparks five other ideas that we can try. Before, the various agencies and nonprofits were all working to end homelessness, but each did it in their own way. Now, the organizations had a shared goal and a shared process. They ran short experiments. They called their hypotheses change ideas. We got really good at breaking down our process, coming up with change ideas, testing them quickly, and then when they worked, scaling them up. So we would have one organization test an idea with the population they directly serve. We would gather the data from that in a week or two weeks time and determine, did it have an impact? And if it did have an impact, then we would adopt it as a new part of our process we would start rolling it out across all partner agencies within the collaborative, and it now became how we knew, how we do things. And so we got really good at doing that. Um, and we got really good at looking at our data and saying, you know what, 
we're having an issue in our data here. Our data is not doing the thing we want it to do. So it's time for us to break down the process around this data set. In Santa Cruz County's homelessness response system, one of the biggest barriers is a shortage of permanent housing. There aren't enough landlords who accept housing vouchers. You can't get out of homelessness if you can't find an apartment or some place to rent. What's really interesting to me about Kern County's approach is that they were able to find housing for hundreds of chronically homeless people without relying on new housing construction. Building housing is part of their long-term strategy, but they didn't have time to wait. They grew their available housing stock by convincing landlords to rent to homeless people. Heather Kimmel. We had to make our homeless clients look as just competitive in a housing application as a non-homeless client. And so when you know you're a landlord that you have multiple applicants for a unit and you are looking at, you know, just looking at them on paper, what is going to make you choose my homeless client where that might feel very scary to you as a landlord or risky? So the first thing we did is we created a risk mitigation fund. It's basically an insurance policy for a landlord. Once they rent to somebody who's experienced homelessness that's linked to supportive services, they're automatically enrolled in the fund. They don't have to do anything, just automatically enrolled in it. Our fund is set at $2,500 above the security deposit um, during their first 18 months in tenancy. Uh, so we know that if somebody is successful in housing through that first year, they're likely to remain successful. If it's gonna go wrong, it's gonna go wrong in that first year. So. We rarely ever get claims to the fund, um, it, it, but it's a nice way to make um, the landlords feel a little bit more comfortable with their perceived risk. We also did uh, created a position that works for the community, not for a specific agency. And so that position, we call it a housing locator. It's different than a housing navigator. They don't have clients they work with. Um, their sole job is selling housing programs to landlords. <laughs> that position was funded specifically for our chronically homeless effort. It helped us get the housing inventory we needed to reach functional zero. Kern County's Housing Authority also started using software called Padmission. It's like Zillow for homeless service providers. It's a database of all the rentals in Kern County that case managers can place homeless people into. It has a map with locations and details like if the landlord takes pets. Heather said it increased success rates for housing applications once case managers knew which landlords were interested in housing homeless people. The team also experimented with events to recruit landlords. They called them landlord summits. We'd been talking to landlords quite a bit about the programs and trying to pitch them. And there was still, you know, this kind of hesitancy because we're the provider pitching the program. Of course, we're going to make it sound like this wonderful thing. And so we said, well, what if we get the landlord community to talk to the landlord community about it instead of it coming from the provider? I think that part of the idea was extremely successful. 
The first event was hosted by a local landlord association. It was promoted by the California Apartment Association. A hundred landlords attended. At that time, Kern County's chronic homeless by name list was 60 people. All 60 had a housing voucher, but nowhere to go. At the summit, the Landlord Association pitched the business benefits of renting to homeless people. It wasn't just about doing a good deed. At the end of the presentation, there was a dramatic moment. Organizers asked the audience, who's in? Who pledges to rent a unit to an unhoused person? And yeah, people came up and they kept coming up. And every time I talk about it, I get emotional because I'll never forget that moment of, oh my gosh, people are willing to house these individuals who are suffering that just need somebody to take a chance on them and, and willing to make their units available to them. Within a few days, the program had 68 new units committed. But it didn't quite work out. Some units were not yet available. Other units wouldn't pass housing quality standards. A big chunk of units wouldn't work for most chronically homeless people. That's because of the landlord's screening criteria. For example, their contracts wouldn't allow for tenants who had a felony. Some screening criteria wouldn't allow a credit score under 600. The team used the units they could, then they changed tack. For the next year's summit, they invited fair housing and eviction attorneys to speak about screening criteria. Those attorneys showed landlords how to change screening criteria without violating fair housing law. They also gave landlords sample screening criteria more likely to allow program participants. They got more than 80 housing commitments from that event. This approach of constantly testing and adjusting the landlord recruitment process worked. The team connected hundreds of chronically homeless people with housing. And then they got to the last few people on the by name list. These were the absolute hardest people to house. Heather Kimmel told me it was time for something drastic. The housing authority took on 10 master leases. They subletted those units to those last few chronically homeless people. We couldn't come up with any other idea to get these, these last people housed. So we're like, well, we're just going to get units and we're just going to put them in the units. The housing authority took on all the risk. If somebody needed to be evicted, the housing authority would pay for it. Any damage, they'd pay for that too. After a year in the program, clients got a housing choice voucher. That's the new name for a Section 8 voucher. Then the client took over the lease. The thought was, if the client could show that they're a good tenant, the landlord would be more willing to work with them. We were also coming up against a unique challenge with this last group of clients that when we did find somebody who would rent to them, um, they had a list of reasons why they wouldn't accept that unit. I don't, don't want to rent a place with brown carpet. I only like green carpet or, you know, just all sorts of things. And so we theorized that maybe they aren't declining the units because there's actually something wrong with the unit. Maybe they're declining the unit because they're afraid of applying and being told no again. 
So our master lease change idea was kind of twofold. One, can we get these, can we get landlords to do this program with us? Um, and if we go to our client and say, we have an apartment for you, you don't need to apply for it, come and sign the lease and you will be given the keys. Like, will we still see our clients saying no to the apartments? Um, everybody said yes. Everybody accepted the units. So we believe that a lot of the challenges around housing some of the clients that have been told no so many times is has a lot to do with their fear of the process and being rejected. We think that that, you know, through the master leasing program and stripping away the possibility of being rejected kind of proved that theory to be true. At the end of that year, all but one of those tenants stayed housed. The program ended because they ran out of money. It cost about $140,000 that year. Heather said the housing authority would like to do it again. Next time, though, they'd want to set aside some money in case something goes wrong. In the pilot, they had a problem. A tenant died and someone moved in without approval. It happened kind of right as COVID eviction moratoriums were put in place. It was really hard to get that squatter out of the unit and to turn that unit back over to the landlord in the condition that we agreed upon. Um, it became a very expensive process. So I think before we would do a master lease program again, we would want to make sure that we had um, an adequate contingency fund. Heather told me they'd also need to figure out how to get insurance for the master lease program. Because of the unique setup, the housing authority didn't qualify for renter's insurance or agency insurance. They tried to get the clients to get renter's insurance, but it still put the housing authority at risk. Okay, some of you are probably thinking landlord recruitment and master leases may work in Kern County, but Santa Cruz County's rental market is so much more competitive, that'll never work here. I asked Eddie Turner from Built for Zero about how communities with expensive housing markets convinced landlords to rent to homeless people. He told me that big cities like Denver, Boston, and Washington, D.C. figure out how to work with their existing housing stock. They make it more efficient. I think there's some um, social network to activate. I think some positive social pressure to activate. Where there are spaces, how can we make sure that we're really using every possible space um, in, a, in a very high rent community like Santa Cruz? Um, can we get creative and can we talk to our neighbors and can we talk to like people in our book clubs, <laughs> people in our workplaces and really start to um, socialize the idea that um, where we have rentable, livable, you know, good, decent places to live that can also be affordable. How can we make sure that we're truly maximizing um, those opportunities for people experiencing homelessness? It's a, it's a thing where I think, you know, finding people with ADUs, finding people with like rentable basements, um, it sounds, I think it sounds like kind of a drip, drip, drip in the ocean <laughs> in terms of the need. So, you know, I think, I think like a little bit finding new units is a, is a game of margins. Where, where can you find three this month? Where might you find four the next month? It's not to say that we can just improve our way out of, out of a jam. 
at some point there needs to be more housing stock. At some point there needs to be more housing stock. There's not, there's not another way around that. And it's true at the same time, um, we find consistently that everyone can also use the resources that they have a little bit in a more optimized fashion. And how can we have both conversations at the same time where whatever housing stock we have, can, can we make sure that um, the people who need it the most are truly getting it the fastest and are coming up first for some of these units? Let's get back to Kern County's approach. Let's compare it to Santa Cruz County's system. Santa Cruz County's system has many similarities. For example, Santa Cruz County's Housing Authority also recruits landlords to rent to unhoused people. They offer many incentives. For example, there's a $2,000 signing bonus for landlords to rent to a person or household who is homeless. There's a fund that pays landlords up to $5,000 for any damages, legal fees, vacancy losses, or other costs. There's a 24-hour emergency support line and case manager support. Santa Cruz County also has people whose sole job is to recruit landlords. They're called housing navigators. They're employed by the county. The county also recently hired Abode Services to run landlord recruitment events. Abode is a nonprofit homeless service provider. Housing Matters has similar staff roles. Their housing navigators recruit landlords to work specifically with Housing Matters clients. In Kern County, though, the landlord recruitment system is more centralized. Housing locators and landlords enter available listings into a central database. Then, case managers from all agencies can search that database. Santa Cruz County does not have a central database for available listings for people with vouchers. Sometimes case managers from different agencies share notes on available listings, but that happens informally. Santa Cruz County does not have a master lease program at the Housing Authority. Jenny Panetta, the Housing Authority's Executive Director, told me she'd like to learn more about Kern County's approach. She told me housing authorities actually used to run master lease programs for large developments. This was decades ago, before housing voucher programs. Santa Cruz County also has found some success at housing chronically homeless people. Santa Cruz County actually has worked with Built for Zero for years. It's a less intensive partnership than what Kern County has. It started in 2012 with Housing Matters, back when Housing Matters was called the Homeless Services Center. With Built for Zero, Housing Matters led an initiative called 180-180. It focused on housing chronically homeless people. Since 2012, that initiative has housed more than 1,100 chronically homeless people in our county. An important difference is that in Santa Cruz County, people are falling into chronic homelessness at a faster rate than the system can currently handle. Since 2012, Housing Matters has kept a by-name list for chronically homeless people. Like Kern County, our county uses a vulnerability score to help triage who needs housing most urgently. They call it the Smart Path Survey. 
but our county uses that list and that data differently. Here's Phil Kramer. He's the executive director of Housing Matters. The thing about a by name list is there's a certain, how do I say this? It's meant to be dynamic and updated. So if we went back and looked at everybody that took the SmartPass survey from many years ago, it's a really, really long list. A by name list is meant to be designed to be more current. Like a by name list means we know where, I'll use these, Mark is and where Bob is. It's like the on deck list. These are the people we're about yeah, to help. That's a great way to think of it. On deck of... list. We know, right. So it's, it, and that takes real rigor. I mean, real rigor, like outreach, case management. Do they have a phone? Can we stay in touch with them? Lots of reasons why we want people to come into shelter. But one of the biggest things is being, it's so hard to stay in touch. We lose, con you know, it's, it's huge. Like I can't, it sounds like a small thing. It's one of the biggest challenges we have to work part, stay, stay in partnership with someone on their pathway to housing is just contact, staying in contact. It's huge. Agencies in our county have improved at housing homeless veterans. Similar to Kern County's approach, a team from Housing Matters and other agencies keep a by name list of homeless veterans. The case managers meet weekly and go through the list. As of October, there were 53 people on the veteran by name list. That's the lowest it's ever been, Phil told me. For chronic homelessness in our county, it's a different story. Phil estimates that our county's chronically homeless list has grown to nearly 500 people. That's just a guess. He says the chronically homeless by name list is a work in progress. Part of the problem is he needs more staff to work the list, he says. The list got so big after 2012 that it was almost un. It got so big, I'm gonna use the word unmanageable, but I don't want someone to say, it's un, you know, blame me for an unmanageable list. We just interviewed and surveyed as many people as we could. Like we just kept in, and which was the right thing to do. Phil said his team did not want to rely on the point in time count. That survey happens every two years. It estimates the number of unhoused people in our county. So we kept interviewing and you wanna keep it because it's real person to person data. So we kept interviewing, but the list got so it's hundred thousand, you know, thousand people. Well, how do we house a thousand people? We weren't able to keep it as dynamic. It was growing, but we kept having to go back up to the top and go, well, who's the highest score? Who's been on the list the longest? So we, one of our big challenges in those years, and even now, is identifying who, you know, who, who, who's our top 10, top 20, keep working that list. And so the by name list, what we're doing differently today is the, is we're truly using not just the long, long list of everybody we've surveyed since 2012 is working this really active and trying to get to this really dynamic on the bench, your work list. We want it to be dynamic. We don't want it just to be this languishing huge list. Don Lane is also familiar with Housing Matters work on by name lists. He also said the barriers are a lack of staff to work the list and a lack of apartments to connect people to. Having that by name list is really good, except if there's 
too many people on it and you don't have enough people to work with all those people, it's going to be that, that everyone who's not near the top is just kind of languishing. And that's not anybody's fault. You know, that's just a lot of work that has to be done and you just do the best you can. So again, this goes back to housing because if you have more housing, then when you're near the top of the list and someone's working with you and you don't have a difficult time finding that kind of inexpensive apartment somewhere, boom, you know, that can happen kind of fast. But if, if, if I'm working with the person experiencing homelessness and we're, you know, have built a nice relationship, I know what's going on with them, we figured out the resources, and then I still can't find an apartment, I'm going to be spending a long time with that person before I get to the next person, right? So that's a really big problem. Kern County's willingness to experiment and tweak their system was a defining feature of their approach. We asked Robert Ratner about how Santa Cruz County compares. He's the director of Santa Cruz County's Housing for Health Division. He leads the county's homelessness response system. Robert told us that Kern County is ahead of our county in terms of willingness to experiment. He said our county is still trying to get everybody on the same page. Robert said our county has a couple of experiments. For example, our county is following Bakersfield's lead with the landlord recruitment events. And Robert is familiar with Kern County's housing locators that help multiple agencies. Our county is trying to build a similar centralized approach to landlord recruitment. But really, our county is still trying to align all the parts of the system toward shared goals. Well, that's kind of what our, what our small team is trying to figure out. Like, how do we get everybody focused on the ultimate goal of figuring out all the things we need to set up to help people get back into permanent housing? And how do we get people working on the same page? Um, I, I think part of it is uh, trying to use a community development framework. Uh, I think there's a, a perception that government will do this alone and, and that, oh, the nonprofits aren't, don't need to be involved or the cities don't need to boom, boom. So how do we kind of bring people together and agree on a shared vision and destination? Um, I just, fundamentally, I think it's about building those relationships and finding out uh, what's motivating people to want to be involved with this issue in some way and then trying to get them to, to join forces with a collective effort. I asked Kern County leaders about the limitations to their approach. One of the main themes I heard was it can feel painful to focus for a year or two on a subset of homeless people. If everybody's working on one group, you may not make progress with the other groups. While Kern County's chronically homeless population dropped, their total number of homeless people grew. There's not necessarily a correlation. There's a lot of factors at play. It's worth noting though, 2017 is when Kern County began its work with Built for Zero on chronic homelessness. That year, the county had about 810 homeless people. That's a 10-year low. 
In 2020, the county reached functional zero in chronic homelessness. That year, the county had about twice as many homeless people as it did in 2017. Right now, Kern County is applying that by name list approach to other homeless groups like youth. A few leaders also told me about skepticism among residents. Some vocal residents didn't believe that Kern County's system got to functional zero in chronic homelessness. They still saw homelessness in parts of Bakersfield. When word got out in the community about the success, some residents' reaction was, how dare Kern County say they've ended chronic homelessness? Leaders told me that residents didn't understand the definitions of chronic homelessness or functional zero. It can be confusing. They said if Santa Cruz County wanted to try this approach, they should clearly communicate the goal and communicate clearly the definitions. I asked the Kern County leaders I spoke to for their advice. What would they want Santa Cruz County leaders to know? Eddie Turner. What we think is totally possible, totally attainable. Um, proven, you know, and in, in, in partially by successes such as Kern counties and other communities, is that you can create a system so that when someone experiences a housing crisis, it won't last long, it hopefully won't repeat, and that they'll be uh, returned to stability and security and permanent housing really quickly. Um, when, we, when we say we're after ending homelessness, that's what we mean. And we think a really important part of getting there is people hearing that that's possible, is, is, is local leaders like your folks in Santa Cruz saying, we're not here to maintain the status quo. We're not doing this work so that we can keep our systems the same way they've always been for 100 million years. <laughs> we're here to do something new and different about this um, in this work together. Um, and, and, you know, it feels like the cards are stacked against us all the time. I think in a place like Santa Cruz where rents and property values are so high, I know it feels like the cards are doubly stacked against you. I can tell you that I personally believe where a bunch of like smart, well-resourced, highly determined people come together to say, we can change this. We can truly improve the way this works for people. There are solutions out there. And I think it's about having, um, some steadfastness with saying that we are going to change the situation. We are going to disrupt the status quo. We are going to end homelessness for one population at a time in Santa Cruz. I think that's required. Um, and also having some process by which to keep the work going. Cause there are times when we get downhearted, there are times when like something discouraging happens. There are times when the, the resources externally run low um, and having some process to keep the work chugging um, and to, to show bright spots and progress along the way, I think is, is really key to doing it. Um, so that's, that's what we're in it for. We, we genuinely uh, think that this can, can get a lot better than it is. This episode was part of Santa Cruz Local's Solutions to Homelessness series. See the show notes for links to more stories in this series. We answered readers' questions on how landlords can rent to people who are homeless in our county. We also published the initial results of our survey on Santa Cruz County residents' views on homelessness. 
In our previous episode and on our website, we have stories of people who live outside. So much time and love went into this episode. I went to Bakersfield. I went to a homeless shelter and listened to people who live and work there. I also had hours of Zoom meetings with people who worked on Kern County's Built for Zero approach. We do this work because we love Santa Cruz County. Hopefully you find this work interesting, trustworthy, and uplifting. We hope our work inspires you to get involved. This work takes time and money. All of Santa Cruz Local's work is free. We're supported by our members. Our members donate starting at $9 a month or $99 a year. Please support local journalism with a membership today. Go to santacruzlocal.org slash membership. The link is in our show notes. If you use the Patreon app, you can also donate to us there. Just search for Santa Cruz Local. Thank you to all our members. Thank you especially to our highest level members. Elizabeth and David Doolin, Fran Goodwin, Jim Weller, Deborah Seche, Chris Necklison, Patrick Riley, Cove Britton, Craig Rowell and Corey Ray, and Jacob Myberg Guzman. Thanks to Trimpot for the music. Thank you also to Santa Cruz local Stephen Baxter. He contributed reporting to this episode. I'm Kara Myberg Guzman. Thanks for listening to Santa Cruz Local.